0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and his church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. We've journeyed through the life of Christ since Advent, which started the first week of December all the way until now, mainly in the Gospel of Luke. And now we're switching over into the book of Acts. This is a big deal. We're getting into a new book. You guys excited? Um, it's going to be awesome. We're going to walk in the book of Acts all the way till September. And the book of Luke tells the story of the life of Christ, and the book of Acts tells how the story of Jesus continues in the life of the church. And I love that we're doing this because our vision as a, as a new growing church is to be a community coming home to Jesus and His church. See what we're doing there? Isn't that, that's good, right? Luke is all about the life of Jesus, Acts is all about the life of the church, so our first year together as a church, we're focusing on those two things. And what's even cooler is that Luke and Acts were written by the same author, Luke, and they're really meant to be one story. So it's really one story with two parts, the story of Jesus uh, in his ministry, his physical ministry on earth, and then through his ministry continued through the life of the church. And like any good two-part book or movie, there's a hinge between the the two stories. Uh, So think of a Marvel movie, since everyone is thinking about Marvel movies these days. Uh, At the end of of a superhero movie, you get the credits, and then there's always like one more scene introducing a new villain or a new problem or a new superhero, and then the next one picks up where that one left off, right? There's a hinge between the two stories. Luke, the author of these two books, gives us a hinge, and it's the ascension. It's this crazy thing we're reading today about Jesus being taken. So the gospel of the sky. Flip with me to Luke real quick, what Margaret just read. So the gospel of Luke. Somebody give me a page number. Nine, page nine. I'm going to read in verse 50. This is the very end of the gospel of Luke. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Isn't that Amazing. Uh, Part of what we do in our services is we have a blessing at the end of the service. The end of Jesus' ministry, what does he do? He blesses them. Isn't that cool? While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So ends the Gospel of Luke. And let's all just have a moment of thankful silence for our time in the Gospel of Luke. Wasn't that great? Ah. We're closing that chapter. doesn't mean we won't read the Gospel of Luke again, but uh, we're moving into the book of Acts. Now, flip with me to the Acts part. It's probably like one page before. So that's how Luke ends. Uh, This is how the, the book of Acts begins, okay? So this is part two. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, Right? So it's his ministry until he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. That's what we've looked at the past like four or five weeks, right? Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You know when you're watching a TV show and you get to a new episode and at the beginning it says like previously on whatever and it gives you a little flashback? I always think of previously on Lost for those of you who watched Lost. Ian, I know you did. Um, this is basically him saying previously in the Gospel of Luke and then he flashes back. It's all here, his suffering, his resurrection, his proofs to his people. He's kind of summarizing it And then he's going to back up to where Luke left off and tell the story of the Ascension again. The Ascension is what connects Jesus's story to the church's story, which is another way of saying the Ascension of Jesus is what connects your story and my story to Jesus's story. It is the hinge. Today is the feast of Ascension. Uh, For those of you that have never really journeyed in a a liturgical church like this before, you may have never celebrated the Feast of Ascension. You may have never even known that there was anything to celebrate about the Ascension. Why would we feast on the Day of the Ascension? Um, It's a very important day. Here's what I want us to be asking this morning. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you are really new to the faith and you're just kind of asking questions and getting into it, what in the world is the Ascension about? What does it mean? What is significant about Jesus going up into the sky in a cloud? (laughs) That's kind of weird. Amen? Uh, I want us to ask the question, why is this so important? And the cool thing is, I think that Luke, the guy who wrote these two books, actually is really interested in answering that question for you. Uh, He really does want you to know what's so significant and special about this. So that's what we're going to find out. We're going to look into it. And I think what we'll discover is really, really powerful. In the sermon page of your bulletin, um, I think there's kind of a a natural logic to this passage, and there are four parts to it that are in there. The first, it begins with a question to Jesus, which we'll read. Then there's an answer from Jesus. Then there's the ascension. And then at the end, there's this angelic rebuke and promise. Okay, so we're just going to walk through those four things. Sound good? All right. Turn to verse 6 in your Acts reading, and I want you to read through this with me. I want you to have your nose in the passage. Everybody there? Okay, verse 6, the question. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, what's going on here? Um, I want you to go back and think of the end of a Marvel movie or a good Western, right? The bad guys are all defeated, Uh, everything's put to rights, the heroes win, and at the end, there's always the same scene where all all of them are sitting around together and they're kind of smiling and like the sunset is, you know, and they're kind of like, wow, that was a good fight. What are you gonna do now? They all kind of talk about what's next. You guys feel me? If it's in a Western, they're on horses before one of them rides off into the sunset, always the same scene. I think that at the beginning of this, when it says, when they had come together, that's the picture you should have in your mind. They had just walked with Jesus. They saw him defeat death, be crucified and rise again. They had watched his ministry. Uh, They had all messed up and been restored, right? Peter is on the other side of his restoration. So they're hanging out together with, with Jesus and they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, if you were just reading the Bible, you might just be tempted to just blow by that question because it sounds super Bible-y, you know? Uh, And you can just think, yeah, whatever, and read by it. But Luke literally begins the book of Acts with that question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a massive, important question for, for Luke. So what are they asking? Here's what I think they're asking. I think they're saying, wow, Jesus, that was epic. We just saw you defeat death and trample hell under your feet. Amen? They're like, that was harshly. no know about that. Only a few of us even believe that you are real. There's still in- institutional injustice and oppression in the world. Rome still exists at this point, right? The world is broken. There's still spiritual unbelief. We know from the scriptures that about 500 people, uh, Jesus appeared to about 500 people in his resurrected body, which on a global historical scale is nothing, right? So I think their question is, how are you going to make everything right? Are you going to do something about it now? How does this pan out? Do you guys feel that in their question? It's a really important question. They had personally come to believe in the gospel. They'd personally come to believe in Jesus and know who he was and what he was about, but there was tons of work to be done. So the disciples wanted to know, Jesus, what's your next move? Will you restore the kingdom at this time? I think we ask this question, too, in our own way. And this is where I think it's really good for us to kind of tap into that the heart of that question for them. Um, every year, if you've traveled through the life of the church, we, we get thrown into the life of Jesus in this really profound way. So in Advent, we wait for Jesus. In Christmas, we gasp that Jesus was born of Mary in poverty. Um, we marvel at his teaching and his love and his miracles throughout his ministry as we walk through it. We weep on Good Friday, and we rejoice on Easter. But is that it? you ever had an amazing kind of spiritual mountaintop experience or been blown away at church but then you walk outside and you realize how messed up your life and the world still is amen you think wow there's a lot of me that actually is really broken and still needs work there's a lot of my family that is just completely in chaos there's a lot in this world And in my friend group or in my workspace or in my city that looks so different than the kingdom of God that I just tasted of. And in those moments, I at least am tempted to turn to Jesus and say, what does your story have to do with that? Does it have anything to do with that at all? Do you guys feel that question? I think that's what the disciples are saying. Jesus, what's next? That's the question that begins the book of Acts. That's the hinge between the two. And it's a really good question. What does Jesus say? Let's move on to the answer. This is in verse 7 to 8 in Acts. I'm going to read it. This is really important. He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Okay, first of all, I just wanna point out that Jesus answers their question. Uh, Christianity, Jesus literally became a human so that you could engage with God and have answers to big questions, amen? Uh, There's nothing about Christianity or Jesus that is meant to be hazy or esoteric. He loves to answer our questions. And he answers this one. And I think in his answer, Jesus is essentially saying two things. Here's what's not your business. Here's what is your business. In verse seven, he's saying, it's not your business. He says, it's not for you. Did you notice that? To worry about the big ultimate things. Times and seasons, when I'm coming back, how I'm working in the world through kingdoms and nations. uh, He's implying those things are fixed by my father. And so all the big things is God's business. That's my business. You don't need to worry about that. That's not a burden that you need to carry. That part of the question, which has got to be consoling, right? You're not meant to worry about that. We'll come back to that in a second. But then he follows it with the main verse in all the book of Acts. Uh, My dad actually was a part of a ministry one time called 1-8 based on this verse. My dad got a tattoo. He would get 1-8 tattooed on his arm or something, okay? not saying you should get a tattoo of 1-8, but... It's a really big verse. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, basically, but you, or it is your business to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. A witness is somebody who testifies to something they have seen, right? He's saying that's what you're going to be. And that is to happen in Jerusalem, which is their city, so that'd be like Madison. In Judea and Samaria, that'd be like their region, so maybe up mid- Midwest, I don't know this part of the country, and then to the ends of the the earth, and that's everywhere. So the disciples ask, what now? How are you going to finish this job, Jesus? How's this going to grow? How are you going to renew the world? And Jesus responds, don't worry about the big stuff. I got it. You need to worry about being filled with the Holy Spirit and telling people what you've seen all over the place. That is Jesus's next move. Jesus calls us, the people of God, to be the answer to our own question in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus calls us, Jesus calls you, when you ask that question, which you should ask God, my life is messed up, my city is messed up, I need help in my family. What does your resurrection have to do with that? He doesn't leave you there. He's gonna fill you with his Holy Spirit, but he's gonna be a witness. That's his play. That's his next move. He wants to fill your body and your soul with his Holy Spirit. He wants to fill your mouth with his word, and he wants to set you loose. There's this crazy story in the book uh, when it talks about in Samson's story in the Old Testament where he gets these foxes and he ties torches to their tails and he sets them loose to set the world on fire or whatever. It's kind of the image here. What happens in Pentecost? Jesus is going to fill his people with the fire of the Holy Spirit and then he's going to release them into the world. That's what he wants to do with us. All of Acts and all of church history and even all of Christ Church Madison's history, which is short, but we do have a history. How cool is that? is the playing out of this verse. It is all the playing out of this verse. Anything else is off the mark. We're gonna start reading the book of Acts and what are we gonna see? We're gonna see people be filled with the Holy Spirit and we're gonna see them testify throughout the world. Amen? So what does this answer mean for us? We've kind of touched on this, but I think it means when we taste the goodness of God, but then realize how messed up we are and how messed up our world is. And we lament and we cry out about the gap in between those two. I think that Jesus is going to invite us to be the answer to our own question in the power of his spirit, not alone by ourselves, but in the power of the spirit. He's going to want to set you loose. He's going to want to fill you up, set you on fire, and then let you loose as a witness to the world. That's why we never stop with Holy Week, amen? That's why the church calendar doesn't end on Easter. Easter, when Jesus rose again in history and in our life together as a community, is the high point, but it's not the end of the story. The story goes on. The way that Good Friday's forgiveness and Easter's joy spills into your home or into your heart or into your life is through the ascension. It hinges on this feast of the ascension. The Feast of the Ascension is when we get to the end of our Eastertide joy. You know, we we party at Easter. So we're like cleaning up the champagne off of the walls and the ceilings and stuff. And in the Ascension, we're called up. Jesus is like, you're up. Now I want you to enter into this story that you've been tracking with me. You can't miss that piece. That's really important. The big stuff, not for us to deal with. Praise God, right? Jesus is saying, don't worry. It's not your job to know. ultimate outcome of things. I'm the one who's in charge and ruling the world. Your job is to receive the Holy Spirit and be a witness. That is how the world will be transformed. That's how you will be transformed. That's how the kingdom will spill into all the earth. Amen? Jesus wants to bring you into the life and mission of God. That is his play, and that was his plan all along. Okay, now verse 9. Let's read about the actual ascension. Verse nine, you guys there? We're now on the ascension bit. We, we've we've seen the question and the answer. Verse nine, and when he had said these things, what we just talked about, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. What in the world? Uh, this is, might be if you're new to faith, maybe, you're Christianity, or you're kind of seeking some answers. You might be like, I'm tracking with you. I love that question and answer, but you lost me. I was <laughs> like, Jesus just disappeared in a cloud uh, into heaven. What is going on? Uh, you might also be thinking, I really actually resonate with that question and answer about Jesus bringing into it, but what in the world does it have to do with Jesus going up into the sky? Those are good questions, Okay. Uh, Turns out there's a really good Bible reason for this, uh, and it's really deep and beautiful. I'm going to give you an Old Testament example, and I'm going to give you a pop culture example just to round things out, okay? The Old Testament example is that wild story that Jason read of Elijah and Elisha. Do you guys track with that? Uh, I felt like I grew up around the Bible a lot, and I had never really thought about that story until I was in my, like, mid-20s. Elijah is like one of the greatest prophets ever. He's uh, this amazing guy. And Elisha was his prophet in training, you could say. So his like prophet Padawan, right? And our reading this morning picks up at the end of Elijah's life when everybody knows that God is about to take Elijah away in a whirlwind. And as they're journeying to the place that God had called him to get there, uh, which don't you love that everybody else goes like, Elisha, Elijah's getting taken away. And he's like, yeah, I know. Shut up. Like, keep it quiet. Uh, And like keeps on happening. Everybody knows it's this like building momentum moment because Elijah is about to leave. So they get to the Jordan River and Elijah, in classic Elijah fashion, takes off his cloak, rolls it up, and strikes the river. And there's this like mini Exodus moment, the water parts, so that there's room for Elijah and his Padawan prophet to cross the river. Later on, right before Elijah is taken away, Elijah asks Elisha, hey, what do you want from me? kind of like, what's your parting gift that you want from me? And what does Elisha say? Please let your spirit rest on me. And what, Elijah's, what Elisha, it's hard to keep track, what Elisha is asking is, please let the spirit that has dwelt in you that I have seen throughout my whole life work through you and the mighty things you've done and the words you've spoken, please let that spirit rest on me when you leave. And Elijah says, wow, that's a doozy of of an ask, but I can make that happen. If you see me leave, you'll receive a double portion of my spirit. And then Elijah is taken up into heaven in chariots of fire, and we can never read that without hearing, you know you thought about it. And Elijah watches it happen. Then, here's the kicker, Elijah, uh, uh, Elisha is walking home by himself, his master's gone, But then he gets to the same river. He takes off his clothes. What does he do? Do you notice he picks up Elijah's, rolls it up, strikes the river, and what happens? Everybody watching went, oh, Elijah's spirit is now in Elisha. Sound familiar? Pop culture example. Just in case you know more about Star Wars than the Old Testament. In A New Hope. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, amazing Jedi, right, takes Luke Skywalker under his wing, and he's training him his whole life. But this interesting thing happens at the end of A New Hope. Uh, Obi-Wan, Ben Kenobi, is fighting Darth Vader while Luke is watching. This is, all this is is Elijah and Elisha. George Lucas just stole everything from the Bible, okay? And this interesting thing happens, he's fighting him, and then he turns to Luke, and Luke is looking at him, and right before Darth Vader strikes him, he turns off his lightsaber and he vanishes. You ever thought about what's going on there? Ben Kenobi saying, Luke, you're up. The mantle, the Jedi mantle is passed to Luke Skywalker. Jesus says to his disciples, my next play is you. Wait for the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. I'm about to set you loose. And then he leaves. They watch him go just like Elijah. The ascension is Jesus getting out of the way so that the people of God can take up the mantle of ministry. Isn't that hardcore? Just like Elijah and Elisha and Luke and Ben Kenobi, the disciples had watched Jesus do all the amazing stuff. They were kind of fumbling all over the place in the gospels, they weren't front and center, they weren't ready, but they were watching his teaching, they were watching his healing, they were watching his compassion and his love for people in this world. And then they watch him leave, and his spirit goes from them, from Jesus to them, which we're going to talk about next week in, in Pentecost. But the ascension has to happen in order for the transition to happen. Can you imagine Jesus being like, well, I'm going to stay, but I want you guys to do everything. So uh, Jesus and all the disciples get to a place like, Peter, I want you to preach a sermon. And Jesus is kind of like sitting in the background while everybody's like, and Peter's like stammering through a sermon, and finally he's like, Jesus, people want to hear you, man. You, you need to just preach. Like, this is too hard to do it right in front of you. That's a weird example. But do you get the feeling? Jesus leaves. If you've been in any type of mentorship, leadership, relationship, that's a thing. All right, you got it. My whole life, this is really important. And especially if you're here today and you're asking questions about Christianity, this is really big. My whole life, the physical absence of Jesus has been a problem for me we worship somebody and we talk about somebody who is alive that's not here that I can't see. That has been a problem for me. But I am more confident than ever, and I love more than ever, Jesus' physical absence because I get the ascension now. That's never happened for me. I want the same thing for our church. I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt, oh, I know where Jesus is. I know what he's doing, and I know why it's good that he's gone. Jesus tells his disciples, no, you want me to go. It is better that I go. So why is it better that Jesus is gone? To summarize kind of what we're reading, what can we take out of this? I just want to give you three quick reasons that are, I think, helpful, just pointers in the right direction of why the ascension is so awesome, okay? Okay. These are kind of notable if you want to write them down. The first one is Jesus' ascension paves the way for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That is a good thing. Jesus' ascension paves the way for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I kind of want to punt on this a little bit till next week because next week is like Pentecost. It's when we celebrate the Holy Spirit. Uh, but just to give you a taste, the Holy Spirit allows us to have a deeper intimacy and knowledge and fellowship with God himself than we ever could have had when Jesus was here. He dwells inside of us. And it means that we can have access to God through the Holy Spirit in Madison. It means that people came in Bangkok and in Beijing and in Dallas, those pagans in Dallas. Everybody has access. And it's such close access. What a gift. That's why Jesus says, you want me to go for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That should be your first thought. Why did Jesus leave? Why is he not here? Oh, so I can have the Holy Spirit. So I can have closeness to God through the Holy Spirit. Second reason I think that we can just see from the the book of Acts, Jesus' ascension draws us deeper into the life and mission of God. Jesus departed from earth physically so that the church, so that you and I in the spirit would physically become the body of Christ. That hinges on the ascension. Our being called into this life and mission is hinging on the ascension. Hope you guys see that. That's a reason to, to celebrate. Even though the dignity and responsibility of that can be a bit shocking, like, really? You want me to be a part of this? It's true. And finally, the third reason to love the ascension uh, just as I've been meditating on, on this, Luke doesn't really focus on this here, and so I don't have a lot of time to focus on it, but I have to talk about it. Because three, important not to mention, Jesus' ascension allows him to continue his ministry in heaven. Jesus didn't ascend to just go relax. So Jesus didn't clock out when he ascended. He wasn't like, that was good. I worked hard for three years. Now I'm just going to go hang out in heaven. Peace, guys. Y'all do, y'all do all the rest of the work that is not what what happened. In the incarnation, God becomes a human. In the ascension, a human paves the way to God. It literally rounds out the Jesus circuit. He starts in heaven, he descends, he dies, he descends to the dead, and then he rises again, and then he ascends back to God. It's a completion of all of his ministry. And I can't talk a lot about this now, but we will talk about it later. But just to give you a taste of what he's doing now, because his ministry is more vital and huge than ever. Uh, His priestly ministry, him offering his sacrifice, the sacrifice of his lifeblood, he's taking it to God to present it to him. He's constantly interceding for you and I. Aren't you glad that Jesus, whom we pray to through the Holy Spirit, is interceding for you to the heavenly father? Don't you want him there to do that? Jesus says in John that what he's doing is preparing a home for you. So not only is he offering his priestly ministry for the life of the world, he's also interceding. He's also like making up your bedroom so you can one, fo- you can one day follow too. He's ruling over the world. We want him to be ascended and at the right hand of God doing all these things. Last Marvel reference of the day, okay? Uh, more people saw the last Marvel movie than like, any other movie in the history of the world. So I can use it for an example. Um, I don't know a lot about Captain Marvel, but in the pantheon of superhero characters, Captain Marvel has like super hardcore powers. You'll have to ask somebody who knows more about this, but she's always gone like fighting off in other worlds because she's so hardcore, she can like do stuff in space. But in the last movie, if you saw it, I won't give any spoilers, the superheroes are all fighting on earth and like every now and then she comes back and just does all kinds of crazy stuff. And they're always like, why don't you stay here? And she's like, I have other battles to fight in the galaxy. So they're like, okay, that's good. You should probably do that. Um, When we think about Jesus's ascension and his physical, even though we have access through the Holy Spirit, we should rejoice. We want Jesus to be doing what he's doing. If you really want to look into more of this, because I'm I'm obviously not covering it a lot, the book of Ephesians and the book of Hebrews are really focused on Jesus's current ministry in heaven and what he's doing. Uh, He is we are thrilled for him to be ascended in doing that ministry. So those are three quick things. The thing about where we've been, the people ask Jesus, what's your next move? This is the question. This is a great question. Will you restore the kingdom at this time? Jesus answers, you will. When you are filled with the Spirit as my witnesses, and then Jesus ascends to pave the way for the Spirit and the ministry of the church. All right, but we do have to finish the story because it doesn't stop there, and I'll do this really quickly. This is the rebuke and the promise that comes at the end of this passage. Look at verse 10 with me. This is the perfect conclusion to uh, what we're looking at this morning. You guys there? This is really important. Verse 10, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Uh, If you were here on Easter, you'll remember we talked about how angels always show up when something mind-blowing happens that people can't wrap their heads around, and they kind of help them grasp what's going on. Um, So what did the two angels say at the tomb? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? They love to ask questions, really poignant questions. And here they are again. Jesus has just ascended, and the disciples are gazing and looking into heaven like this. I think they're just like... Like nobody's talking to each other like, you know, what do we do now? And I'm taking a little uh, liberty here, but my hunch is when they say, why are you gazing into heaven? Is they're kind of like, hey, guys, why are you waiting around? What are you looking for? You've got work to do. I think gazing into heaven, uh, that posture is kind of like stopping with Jesus and just kind of waiting for God maybe to do everything in your life without diving in, without waiting for the Holy Spirit? Kind of like coming to church or thinking about things and then just kind of leaving it and expecting God to, to not invite you anymore into his life. Do you guys feel that feeling? I think when we're tempted to do that, the angels would want to say to us as well, hey, you heard Jesus. You're up. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And be set loose so i think that's the subtle compassionate rebuke to them it's like get to work guys but then the promise uh the promise at the end is basically don't worry jesus is going to come back just the way you saw him go and in other words when the time is right which you're not supposed to worry about the end of all things right the lord will return and the kingdom will be fully restored the kingdom of god will cover the earth like the prophets say from sea to sea So the angels tell them to quit waiting around and get to work, but it's a gospel labor that is fully in the knowledge that Jesus is coming back soon. So just to finish, the life of God, we're going to read in the book of Acts about how the church comes front and center, and we're going to think about our life as a church in Madison uh, in our neighborhoods and our families' lives together. But with this, I love this kind of tension in what the angels say. It's a joyful labor. It's a type of hopeful action. Um, It's not passive. Jesus didn't be like, so just sit there and I'm going to do everything. That's not what he's calling us to. He's also not laying the burden of the world on your shoulders. Amen? Do you get that tension? That is complete, joyful action. It's hopeful. But it is, your wrists are are dirty. You're, You're getting your hands dirty. You're getting into the life and mission of the kingdom. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.